Hi, my name is Jan Fatke, the founder of Imperium Negotiating Solutions, and you're listening to Chris Smith on Culture Matters. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Hey there, my name is Chris Smith, and you're listening to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 113. The guest for today is Jan Potgieter. He will explain what his name or where his name comes from in a moment. And Jan Potgieter is the founder and managing director of Imperium Global Negotiation Solutions. Jan is the creator of the Imperium Negotiation Methodology, which enables the new class of elite business negotiators to immediately start saving time and money, increasing their earnings and building mutually rewarding long-term relationships. Jan has significant experience in high-value, cross-industry and cross-cultural negotiations, which he has gained by conducting negotiation workshops all over the world. Let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Jan, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening. I never know where the people on the other side, uh, the other side of the line, are. Uh, a very warm welcome to you. Can you introduce us a little bit to your uh, uh, to yourself, who you are, um, what you do, where you well, where you come from as well, and where are you currently in in the world? Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for the. Uh invitation to your show my pleasure um, at, at the moment I'm sitting in Cape Town I've uh, I've spent the last uh, I guess uh, about 17 years or so living in the UK I'm originally a native from South Africa mm-hmm. but I've had the opportunity to also live in the United States as a matter of fact uh, that's where I'm headed next year we're relocating to uh, to Austin so I've uh, I've decided to spend some time in Cape Town uh, another maybe six or seven months that we'll be here because my kids were born in the UK and they've never experienced uh, where I'm from. Uh-huh. And uh, also the weather in Cape Town is better this time here than it is in the UK. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, you chose the best the best time to go indeed. <laughs> um, are we on the same time zone? No, there's an hour time difference, right? It's it's uh, 10 past four in the afternoon here. I think you're one hour behind me, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, great. Well, again, thanks for having you here. Um, again, your name is Jan Potgieter. That sounds... Very Dutch. Can you sort of introduce us a little bit about that background? Where did that name come from? Well, as you as you may or may not know, depending on where you are in the world, listening uh-huh. to this, uh, South Africa originally was uh, uh, founded by the Dutch as a as a halfway house between Europe and uh, and the Far East. So mm-hmm. uh, it attracted a lot of Dutch settlers, and then uh, the uh, the British um, landed in the in the eighteen hundreds. And uh, so, so you know, there's quite a lot of people from European descent, mainly from from Dutch and British descent in South Africa. Also, some uh, some French from the uh, French Huguenots who came mm-hmm. out here, and uh, and then some Germans. But uh, that's how I ended up with uh, 
with a Dutch name living in South Africa. My my father is uh, from Dutch descent and my mother is Irish. Okay. All right. So she was she was an O'Grady. So uh, so there you have it. <laughs> is there anything that is left other than your name, your first and last name being very Dutch? You also explained before I hit record that your first name Jan uh, or Jan, as you could also pronounce it. I've heard it being pronounced like that as well. Uh, But your last that's name, how they do it. That, that's how they do it in the U.S. I know, I know. Get used to that then. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for them to. No, no, never mind. I'm not gonna gonna uh, talk bad about the uh, Americans. When, when, whenever I turn up in the U.S., they uh, they sometimes surprise that I'm a male, not a woman. Oh yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, that's all. That's usually a female female name. And and do you have any Dutchness in you other than your name? Is there anything? Any Dutch in you? Do you speak the language, for instance, or have you spent a lot of time in the uh, Netherlands? No, I, I wouldn't say I speak the language. I can understand it quite well. Mm -hmm. I've uh, over the years I've done lots of business in the Netherlands, uh, also a little bit in, uh, in in Belgium. So I can I can drink a beer in Dutch. <laughs> well, and after two beers, it gets better, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I so, can imagine. So. Typically, what, 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 what I can do is speak uh, Afrikaans with a Dutch accent and really confuse people. Ah, yeah, of course. Yes, I understand. Okay. All right, then. Um, let's get to the, uh, the, the, con the content, the business as well, because that's the reason you're here. Um, I don't think I've ever had somebody who specializes in negotiations on the show, and we're on number 130, so I've done a couple. I've covered pretty much yes. every spectrum. Um, so we're, we're, we are going to talk about cult, uh, culture, yes, and negotiations and how that sort of fits or doesn't fit or that's that's what i'm curious to find out from you but first of all i think it makes sense to start with um and no doubt you have that a definition of uh of negotiations or negotiating yes you know um i think i think in the modern kind of society that we live in negotiation probably means something different to what the original intent was um uh, which really you know the original definition of the word in, in latin was just a description of doing business. Anything that you were doing that's not leisure. As a matter of fact, in French and Spanish to this day, the word negotiate means to do business. It's, uh, I think in the English language, we uh, we understand it to be an event rather than a process. You know, So we think negotiation is something that happens when we when we start talking about the terms of an agreement or something. You know, mm -hmm. We don't necessarily think that uh, a negotiation is the whole process from the first time that we talk to somebody. You know? mm -hmm. So... Uh, once we once we can understand that negotiation really is a process, not an event, it gives us a completely you know a blank canvas against which to to shape deal making rather than just being you know, uh, you know kind of focused on one event or one meeting. Mm -hmm. So you know you know in a cross cultural context, of course, uh, you know that's that's a key thing to understand that the uh, that the negotiation. Well, really, commence the first time you make contact with somebody. It's not. Um, it's not like you, you're going to talk through things and then ultimately end up around the table and then you're going to negotiate. Yeah. No, it really. You know, it's really something that happens. Uh, you know, throughout your engagement. So, in other words, what you're saying is that um, people are are negotiating without actually knowing that they are negotiating already. Probably most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you agree with with this this idea, this notion? I've given a few you know, negotiation workshops in my in my other life in the past, and um, mm -hmm. I I I believe that if, as a kid you start negotiating already. Uh, do you agree with that? Of course, yeah, of course, of course. I think I think you know if you if you understand the definition, uh, the original intent is to you know anything that's not leisure, then you realize that there's an awful lot of negotiation happening, and of yeah. course. Uh, <clears throat> 
you know, bed, bedtime is a negotiation. You know, your exactly yeah. <laughs> uh, your, 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 your pocket money or where you go on holiday or uh, you know which friends you can hang out with. All those things are a negotiation. And kids, I mean, kids they they're pretty good at it, really. You know, they if they want twenty euro, they don't ask you for twenty euro; they ask you for fifty, don't they? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, they they ask for three hundred percent in order to get away with a hundred. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. Makes good, that makes good sense as well. Um, how do you how do you relate to the um, uh, the ah, my god it's I can't remember it's the Boston consulting way of negotiating is that something that you're familiar with? I'm not familiar with the with the Boston um, consulting way of doing it. No, but I, I know the Boston consulting group. They probably uh-huh. yeah do some stuff. You know, I think the you know obviously depending on your view, but I think probably the. The, the, the best known um, center for negotiation research would be the project of negotiation at Harvard. Ah, okay. And so, and so I would I would guess that somebody like the Boston Consulting Group or some of those guys will have tapped in there. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, obviously in, in the UK would be Oxford would be the center of excellence, and then in Europe, typically it's INSEAD and LESEC in uh, in France, mm. and they, you know, they tend to have a collaboration between them, which they call the. Um, you know, uh, I, you know, the Institute for Research on Negotiation in Europe is kind of affiliated with the with the project of negotiation um, in the U.S. And then in the U.S., you also have some universities that tap into it. Okay, um, I, I wrote that down already. I'm making some notes here because I mean, one 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 answer from your side triggers another question from my side. It's it's um, in preparing, and I told you before. I mean, I don't prepare a lot, but I I did, of course, I do research your name, and I found that this an article uh, that you published on LinkedIn. I'm not going to read the whole article, but just the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it says here from an article on LinkedIn. Okay, breakneck speed globalization, digital communication platforms, and a wholesale breakdown of trust in the corporate sector have led to more misunderstandings, longer deal cycles, increased risk and the ulti- and the ultimately resulted and has ultimately resulted in a handshake having lost all meaning. Is it is it really that bad, Jan? Unfortunately in the corporate world it is, you know, if uh, it depends a little bit on what circles you move, but you know, when you're dealing with the with the listed um, companies, the you know, the FTSE 100 and the Fortune 500 uh, unfortunately, that's the case, you know, and I think a lot of it is uh, as a result of the fact that, you know, we've brought in functional discrimination into the way that we do business. So, you know, we have people taking care of, you know, purchasing, others doing buying, some taking care of, you know, legal or human resources or, mm-hmm. you know, we all sit in different departments mm-hmm. um, because we, we work for these large um Enterprises, you know, some of these companies, I mean, they last count, I looked, these things fluctuate, but there were about 14 companies globally that employed more than a million people. Wow. Uh, you know, so when you, when you have these huge structures, um, you know, then, then people really work in, in, in isolation and silos and, you know, there's high st- staff turnover. We live in a world now, you know, 70s, 80s management philosophy is still what governs the way that we do business, which rates the, uh, uh, you know, the shareholders is the ultimate authority and, you know, the ultimate um, person that everybody serves. So it's not, you know, it's not the customer that, uh, you know, is the primary beneficiary, mm-hmm. but the, but, but the shareholders, you know, that's a, that's a philosophical, philosophical view of, yeah, yeah. of most, of, of most business today. So unfortunately, um, you know, trust is no longer a prerequisite. I mean, you, you, you can see in the, in the finance industry, mm-hmm. that's something that, uh, 
they've not done business based on trust for for decades. You know, they they use escrow, and uh, they, as a matter of fact, they probably assume mm-hmm. that uh, that there is no trust before they do deals. I'm not I'm not suggesting that this is, of course, the way things should be, but I think mm-hmm. that unfortunately it is the way that it is. Yeah. Just very quickly, what is escrow for the audience who might not know? Yeah, so, so so escrow is if uh, if you and I were to do a transaction, and I don't trust that you're going to fulfill, and you don't trust that I'm going to fulfill mm-hmm. uh, on on our obligations. What we do is we get a third party, who um, if I'm the buyer, I deposit the money with the third party, and if you're the seller, um, you know you have certain schedules uh, against which you have to perform, mm-hmm. and once you've performed against the contract, then the third party will release the money to you. So yeah. so that third party will. Will make sure that a that you perform and b that the money gets transferred. So, but that's good, uh, isn't you it? Know, you, yeah. Well, could be. Of course, now somebody else is taking a cut of the proceeds. Yeah. Okay. You know, that, that, <laughs> but you you buy that uh, trust in a way, don't you? Then you can, you can, you know. And so, absolutely, you know, the, it's not necessarily a bad thing to do that at all. Um, you know, it's often. It's a, it's a tool that can be very useful in a cross-cultural context too, when people you know don't really have uh, uh, maybe the intimate understanding of uh, how to do business, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in different geographies, different laws, etc. And so, mm-hmm. so that can be a tool that uh, that you can you know also use to ease um, yeah. you know, some some of those tensions. You, you talked about uh, 14 companies uh, with over a million employees. Is that is that um, concentrated somewhere in the world, or do you, is that all over all over the globe? Uh, it's all over the globe, you know. Um, the National Health Service in England is one of them. Walmart in the US is another one. Um, I think the Chinese, I'm not sure if it's the, uh, obviously the Chinese military is way in excess of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, the, 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 there was another organization in China, I forget the name now. You know, so, yeah, you know, it's not just located in one part of the world. This is a, it's a global phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to get to to what your what your business actually is, which is negotiate negotiating. You you have a system of negotiating. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that first, and then I'd I'd like to dive into how how different cultures negotiate in different parts of the world. Sure, sure. So you know the 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 way that we like to approach negotiation is um, as something you know that we recognize as complex rather than something that's linear. Let me, let me just give you an example. So. Yep. Uh, mo- most of what you see out there when it comes to training negotiation, unfortunately, assumes that negotiation is something that's linear, and it really has its roots in the kind of the uh, North American and Western European approach to negotiation, which mm-hmm. is, you know, and, and you'll know that you're the cultural expert. I mean, there's, there, there are, of course, some cultural differences between uh, Western Europe and, and North America, but it, in the way that business is done, it's not so pronounced. Um, you know, and, and, and a lot of the, the thinking around um, Business schools, etc., around negotiation, was really built on a model of doing business, uh, you know, in those two areas, and didn't really take into account uh, what happens outside of uh, Western Europe and North America. So, so it tends to be very linear, uh, and that can work very one-dimensionally if you know you can isolate some things that uh, that have no variables in them. But, however, it, you know, it will fail you if you if you try to do business globally. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, it's not possible to really say negotiation is a three-step or a five-step or a seven-step process. Okay. What you really, what you really need is a is a checklist that helps you to deal with complexity. So, golf is the best example. You know, if you look at a game of golf, mm-hmm. you've got a club, uh, or oh, sorry, you know, a set of bags with uh, with fourteen clubs, mm-hmm. and you don't play golf in a linear way. You know, you don't start by hitting the driver and then the three wood and then the five wood and then the two iron and then the three iron. 
you play golf that way, people would think that you're slightly crazy. <laughs> no, what you what you do is you is, is you assess the requirements. Um, you you know, you kind of look at the demands of mm-hmm. um, the shot. You know, so today, let's say if I'm out on the golf course, I can see the winds blowing. Uh, you know, toward me, maybe quite strongly. Um, you know, I can see the you know the conditions are different. Maybe to, to the previous day, maybe might be wet today. Yesterday was dry. The flag is in a different spot. So, so even though normally, maybe let's say on a dry day, I would hit a five iron. Maybe today, I should hit a three iron. Right. To yeah. get the result, to get the result that I want. So, so I'd rather go through a through, through a checklist that helps me to bring proper diligence to my approach. Because if I want to be successful in negotiating, um, we use the golf analogy. I got to hit all my clubs. I, I can't just play with my favorite clubs. I got to be able to, you know, I have to be proficient with all the strategies, tactics, and techniques at my disposal to optimize my negotiation outcomes. You know, so, so it's about, and, and what we teach in the method we use, it's about helping you to understand, A, what, what are your preferences? So what are your, what are your defaults when it comes to negotiation? And B, what are these strategies, tactics, tools, techniques that you have at your disposal that will empower you to be able to play golf or negotiate anywhere in the world? So not just, um, not just in North America or Western Europe, but, but in Asia or Africa or South America. You know, these principles are underpinned or, or pinned on human nature, not on, not on culture. Of course, there are cultural differences. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are many of those. But, um, but we really, you know, pursue an approach that will equip you to be successful no matter where you are. How do you then explain, I mean, principles, etc. cetera, uh, from my background being a, being a Dutchman living in Europe, I can understand that concept, but for a Chinese principles are are too fixed and and that's not how it is it, it the world is how the world presents itself rather than coming with with principle principles is that is that not hard to to communicate them not necessarily you know if if you have an understanding that uh, you know typically and of course I'm, I'm i might be oversimplifying things but simple is good you know in the west we tend to have a focus on on the content and mm-hmm. you know in for instance, China or the Orient, they have more of a focus on the context. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm if I'm prepared to lead with the context rather than the content, depending on where I'm going, then I, I create an entirely different kind of engagement. So, you know, it's not it's not for me to necessarily convince my Chinese counterpart that uh, that I have a you know a formula for doing this. Mm-hmm. It, it's about understanding that, you know, they have a different perspective right. and we can invest on, you know. In, in developing that relationship to to build the security for them to uh, to want to conclude a transaction. So you you talked about this a set of tools uh, in a checklist you have. How would that checklist differ if I would negotiate with a with an American versus uh, a Chinese or an Indian? So so the checklist would remain the same. You know mm-hmm. what you would um, what you would be pulling out would be a different club. Right. Okay. So so so, so if uh, if if I'm dealing with an American. Uh, give you a practical example, you know, uh, n- no problem if, I, if I'm, let's say, if I'm traveling from Europe to the U.S., if, I, if I'm going to turn up in New York, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm flying from London to New York and I take my lawyers and my, my accountants with me to the first meeting, I can turn up at 9, 10 a.m. in the morning, we can go straight into the meeting, and I don't even have to stay for lunch. I can just head straight back to London and nobody would be offended and probably everybody would be happy because exactly. it's very efficient. Yeah, uh, It's going to be quite the opposite. If I'm flying to Tokyo or Beijing, uh, even if I take my lawyers and my accountants with me in the first meeting, probably I'm going to cause unfilled defense. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so, so it's about using a different club. In this context, I, you know, my club would be okay. I have to invest in the relationship. I have to focus on the context mm-hmm. before I get to, um, you know, to, to, to the content, if you will. You know, so uh, pe- people often ask the question, you know, you kind of think, you know, does it take longer to do a deal then in China than it does in New York? And then the answer is actually is no, because, you know, if, if I'm doing a deal between London and New York, guess what takes the time? The lawyers take the time. Yeah, true. Yeah. You, you know, whereas if we do in business, let's say between Europe and, and, and Asia, then building the relationship is what takes the time. Mm-hmm. But if you measure it, you know, once the relationship is solid, then, then the deal is done. You know, and the contract serves a different purpose in Asia as it does in, in, in Europe or the U.S. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, true. How do you deal with a situation? This is this is something I've bumped in many times. I mean, not personally, but this is the feedback I get from from clients or people that go to my workshops as well. For instance, they they uh, are negotiating with a um, a French company, hence a French team, and they find themselves mm-hmm. um, at the negotiation table negotiating, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then in the end, it turns out that the the ultimate decision maker in France, for example usually is never never present so what happens is is that um so both a party a and party b negotiates a deal which for party a is a deal and for party b being the french side in this side is basically just a proposal that they have to take inside the organization and negotiate that through inside again that's that's hard to overcome isn't it it could be it could be you know i think that's um that's why you always have to start off by identifying the key stakeholders Mm mm-hmm so, 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 so that scenario is really a description of uh, of, of probably uh, pretty poor pre- preparation. Okay, and yeah, if, uh, if, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. I, 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 I mean, it's of course you accurate. That's a situation that happens very, very often. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> but, 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 you know, nine out of ten times the, the the problems that we encounter when we're trying to do business is is a result of unmet expectation. Mm. You know, and, and and so if we. Uh, if we don't start with stakeholder identification and, you know, in the context of uh, what you promote on, on, on your podcast, certainly we're doing business internationally, mm-hmm. uh, building building up our, our knowledge and understanding of different cultures, then we're really going to set ourselves up to fail. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Could you could you indicate what what then the prime difference is uh, in in your your checklist um, in your the clubs that you use between the US and, and China? Because I mean, your checklist must be huge then, because of all the differences. No, 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 no. no. It's, a, it's a pretty simple checklist. It's a pretty simple checklist. It just means that we identify that the focus is going to be on the context rather than the content, mm-hmm. right? So uh, let's establish the relationship first. Let's understand that the you know, the contract is only ever going to um, support the agreement. It's never going to govern the agreement. Okay. So we, we're always going to use relationship to manage, you know, that, that agreement. Um, so, so in that case, what we need to do is look at succession because what do we do if somebody gets hit by a bus? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not, we, you know, we're not going to enforce an agreement in court in China, are we? You know, I can tell you what the outcome is going to be. It's not going to be in your favor. So you have to manage the relationship. And you will find that if you can do that effectively, that you will have you know incredible loyalty, and that the contract can be very successful. However, if you if you want to impose your preference on somebody else, then it's unlikely that you're going to get the desired result. So, I mean, I've heard stories, you know, clients I've worked with, where uh, UK company, big UK company, where um, they sent a representative across to Tokyo, and uh, you know, after the first meeting, they um, they got a call from the uh, 
from the senior vice president in Tokyo and asking them to send across somebody else and immediately bring this person back because when they sat in the meeting, they put their feet up on a chair, yeah. which, they, which they felt was very disrespectful. Yeah, and uh, I, I won't mention the name uh, of the company, but it's a huge, well-known global brand. Yeah, you, you, you know, so often people just don't uh, invest the time in preparation, and that's normally where it goes wrong. Because you, you know, it's very simple to to avoid some of those cultural um, mistakes, uh, even just based on elementary preparation. Mm -hmm. Why do you think is that? What what is this? It's something I bump in time and again as well. That people in in my line of business, at least, but I mean, it's it's related what you do and what I do, is that people brush over this. There's either this intercultural preparation or this uh, well negotiation uh, negotiation preparation. Why do people? And typically, you would expect people in positions. I mean, uh, earning a decent salary, etc still just say, okay, I'm going to China and I'll see what happens or something. Do you know, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's the million dollar question really. And I, I always spend um, quite a bit of time, you know, emphasizing preparation because, you know, fundamentally, if you look at elite level performance, uh, it's always the preparation that makes the difference. You know, that what often happens in the context of negotiation and doing business internationally is that, uh, is that when people prepare, sometimes for these meetings or negotiations, then, uh, you know, it turns out completely different to, to what they prepared or anticipated. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they, they make the conclusion that therefore it's not necessary to prepare in the future, that, uh, you know, it's good to just kind of shoot from the hip and see how it goes. But, um, you know, you talk to any, <laughs> any military strategist and they'll tell you that, uh, you know, the minute the battle starts, you tear up the battle plan. So you yeah. never prepare expecting the battle plan or, or the battle to go the way that you planned. Mm -hmm. but, but but what you've done is you've you've established exactly where your supply lines are you you have great communication in place mm -hmm. you know exactly where your um, where your support's coming from you know exactly what the different signals mean you know you, you have your drills in terms of how you're going to um, counter the the enemy mm -hmm. knowing that you're going to be surprised but because you've got all that stuff covered what you can do now is you can apply yourself fully to be you know creatively solving the challenge that you face with. And it's exactly the same thing in negotiation. You know, when you, when you prepare, you don't expect the negotiation to look like uh, your preparation, but the fact that you've spent that time in preparing, it, it now frees you up to deal with the yeah. curveballs. Oh. Um, you know, and secondly, you know, everything in life costs either money, time or energy. Mm -hmm. And so, so what we're really saying when we don't prepare for these things is, is what we're really saying is that the, you know, we, we have more time later because it's always cheaper to pay up front than it is to pay later. So if I, if I don't have the two hours, the day, two days, two weeks, depending on the size of the deal, um, to prepare up front, it's because I have the, you know, the days, hours, weeks, months later to, mm -hmm. to clean up the mess. Yeah. You know, so, so it's always cheaper to spend the time up front than it is to try and fix the, fix the mess later. You know, and I think, Simulation, the, the, the way that you prepare, the way that you exercise um, your negotiation skills is through simulation, you know, through exercise and simulation. Yeah. Are there, are there uh, in your experience, the years of experience that you have, typical countries or cultures that prepare less than others? I would imagine the Germans preparing themselves silly, and I would then stereotypically say <laughs> that Americans are the, are the yes. worst preparers. Is that, does that make sense or not? 
well, yes, or maybe the Middle East. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, 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 yeah. But, 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 yes, so, so, so anecdotally, you're not far off the mark. Um, the, the question is what they prepare, though. You know, you know the old um, saying about the difference between effectiveness and efficiency. Yeah. You know, so efficiency is getting up the ladder really fast, and effectiveness is making sure the ladder is against the right wall. You know, so so what, I, what I often see people doing is, is they're spending a lot of time on preparing, but they're not preparing the right stuff. Yeah. You know, you know, negotiation first and foremost, and ultimately, is a people game. Yes. And what what and what most people prepare on is not the people stuff. Uh-huh. You know, they, they they prepare the legal stuff, they prepare the financial stuff. Yeah. But they don't prepare the the people stuff. You know, so yeah. they might think themselves very well prepared for a cross cultural negotiation, having spent no time studying the culture at all. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. It happens but, a lot, indeed. But that, but. Yeah, but having prepared, spending hours and hours on you know, the, the financial scope and the parameters of the deal, which is not unimportant, but skipping the the the, the people part is something which which doesn't make sense. Of, 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 of course, is of this course. something? Is it, the work that you do, the courses that you give, is that something you, you could actually put in some sort of e-learning, or do you think that this is too much of a contact sport? Well, you know, we have some stuff in e-learning, mm-hmm. um, and we you know we're struggling. Uh, through how to best digitally um, convey a lot of this learning because um, th- there certainly is a lot that you can do digitally, uh, you know, but often digitally live rather than digitally um, recorded. Mm-hmm. But but I think that there is an element to it, as you allude to, that uh, there will always remain face-to-face um, mm-hmm. you know, contact be- because it's a people's thing. You know, it's a it's a people skill fundamentally. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought as well. Yeah, uh, and, and getting back to the, the the cultural side again of the work that you do, is mm-hmm. in your eyes, in your experience, can you cluster certain cultural differences? In other words, do Anglo Saxons in general, which is a well, the the Canadians, the Americans, the Brits, um, and the Aussies and the Kiwis, are, are they do they sort of act the same? Um, and do the Asians sort of act in a in uh, in a different may, a way, but comparable? To each other, rather. Yeah, you know, there's some, I suppose, some high-level stereotypical things you can do. But I mean, you you know, when you look at culture, mm-hmm. um, you know, culture obviously is present on many different levels. It's not just ethnic um, culture, sure. you know. Yeah. So, so you, so you also have organizational culture that plays a role. So, if I'm doing business with IBM, I can expect that probably, you know, IBM will have a similar way of doing business in Asia, the US, and Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you also have professional culture. So if I'm an accountant or a lawyer, there are probably elements that will be similar, no, you know, no matter where I am in the world. Yeah. And then, you know, religious culture, et cetera. Um, but, but, but from an ethnic perspective, yes, of course, there are differences. You know, I think we, uh, certainly in the Anglo-Saxon world, you know, we tend to be um, more content-focused than, mm-hmm. than context-focused. You know, so so we like, the, we like the rule of law. We like the... Um, you know, to follow the rules, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. we like to use the contracts to um, to manage the relationship. You know, if, if you and I get into a deal and we have a contract and there's a problem or a dispute, then probably what we'll say is let's take a look at the contract, right, yeah. to resolve the issue. Yeah. Uh, whereas if we're going to be in the Middle East or we're going to be in Asia or Africa, um, that's going to be of very little importance. We're not going to look at the contract to, to try and fix the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the contract really in, in, in those areas will be, will be there to be a, a record of what was agreed 
uh, rather than a tool to manage the relationship. Yeah. Ah, interesting, interesting, good stuff. Um, I'm looking at the clock here, Jan, um, and we're already yes. 30 minutes in uh, in recording. It's going really fast, I must say. Um, and I like to, I, I usually keep my um, my podcasts around 30 minutes. So um, I'd like to segue into, uh, out of your experience, asking you the three tips to become more culturally competent or or maybe even a better negotiator in different cultures. Yeah, so you know, for, for me, the number one um recommendation is to double down on your preparation you know, and there's um there's always a way to find common ground you know mm-hmm. i think the um the understanding that we have far more in common than what sets us apart regardless of culture uh just needs you to take a look at the common ground rather than the things that are that are different right so uh number one i would say prepare with the focus on finding the the similar similarities between you and your counterparts, uh, regardless of the culture that they're in. Okay. And pro- probably, probably the second um, point that I'd raise is to say that um, understand where your focus should be, if it should be on the content or the context, um, depending, uh, you know, on, on, on the culture that uh, that you expect to um, to encounter. Uh-huh. And the third thing is to understand that um, human nature underpins every culture in the world. You know, every culture in the world um, embraces honor, dignity, and respect. And if you can, if you can have an approach that, you know, always treats your counterparts with honor, dignity, and respect, you know, that's, that's universal. You know, there's no culture in the world that doesn't respect or, or, or reward that. So uh, th- th- those are my three thoughts. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Good stuff. I have, a, can I comment on the last, on the last one? Because I'm, I'm thinking Please. back about the example that you gave about, I thought it was an American you mentioned putting a feet up on the table in China. Uh, and and then being being sent home again, I, this is not done out of disrespect, is it? So sometimes we do something to another in 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 our awareness, which is totally not unrespectful um, or rude, uh, and it's being perceived like that. That's difficult, isn't it? Uh, could, could be. I would I, I would qualify that one by saying, where does it happen? If that happens in the UK or in uh, in America, then that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're actually going to China or Japan and doing it there, then I would say that that's disrespectful because that would be on the back of poor preparation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That you would link it back to your your number one point again. All right. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Jan, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, www.bizneg.com. That's B-I-Z-N-E-G.com. Dot. Okay, that'll be in the show notes um, and people can get in touch through to you as well through the website, I presume. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for your time and I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Chris, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show and uh, you do great work and uh, I really appreciate the uh, time. Thank you. You take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Jan, again for coming on the show as well. It was good talking to you. Um, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, it's a good moment to do so in iTunes, in um, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff, all these places you can find this podcast. And if you're in iTunes and uh, signing up there, then you might as well leave a review. I really appreciate that as well. The music you hear in the back- background is from Bensound. Check them out at bensound.com. I am Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters Podcast, and I'll be back in two weeks. Take care. Bye. That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. 
Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. 